you'll make your way to Luke chapter 4. I'll meet you there. We've been thinking through the idea of temptation. We've called this series, Trust God. And we've seen the obviousness of that title. Any message that's ever been given could actually be titled that, and it'd be a home run. Uh, But this is the thing about that title. Um, I struggle with that. I struggle with trusting God. That might be surprising for you to hear, a pastor, uh, but the difference between us right now is about four feet uh, as far as a stage, but the reality is, is we all live on the same plane of needing to trust the Lord. No one gets it right. And so the question would be is, who do you trust in? What do you trust in? Because everybody does. One of the things about this, very similar to worship, everybody trusts something. It's, it's not like you can uh, shift into neutral. Ah, I'm just going to go through life, not going to trust anything. I don't need God. I don't need anything else. I'm going to just be neutral. <laughs> doesn't work like that. Everybody trusts something because we're creatures. It's wired into us. Um, you have to trust something the way God has made you. You were made to worship. And the challenge is, is that when we fix on something that we should worship something that's not worthy of, of worship, something that's not worthy of our trust or our belief or our hope. That's the human condition. And so when we've been thinking about this idea of temptation, temptation, as we've said over the weeks, it's a, it's a neutral idea. It's not inherently bad. But when we're talking about temptation in this context, as far as who do you trust, God or yourself, um, then it does become bad. Because whoever you trust, you follow. Even in that amber alert that went off, trust has been broken there. We don't know everything about the situation, but underneath the the details of the story, somebody has been proven not to be trustworthy. You see how it leaks through all of our life. It's just there. So the important thing for us today in our lives is... um, When you're tempted not to trust, what does that look like? Where does it come from? We've thought that through and diagnosed that. But generally, we've been saying that temptation is the proving ground in which you discover who you trust. And I'm going to use it for the last time. I think it's a cool example. It's a fantastic metaphor. It kind of tells you a little bit about what I think about a particular movie series, The Eye of Sauron. The Lord of the Rings. That metaphor that the, your heart is always searching for something to trust. Just like the eye in the fictitious story is searching for the ring. You're searching to trust something, someone. What temptation does is it comes into our lives and uh, it reveals in any given moment who we trust. Now some people can put their trust in material possession, in their job, other things, but fundamentally, if you pull away the debris, if you pull away all the different things that uh, we find comfort in, we find solace in, what you'll find is underneath all of it, at the foundational level, you either trust God or you trust you. That's it. I mean, that's just, it's really it. If This is the ABCs. This is basic arithmetic when it comes to Faith, belief, 
You could even say like a religion. Although we would frame it in relationship terms. So it's a proving ground. So we've been walking through, how does Jesus deal with this? How did he deal with this? Because the hope that we have is that he never didn't trust. He always trusted. And so we need to study what is it that that he did? How did he approach us? Now, I want to put a pause here for a second. We're not teaching this particular series so that every single time you can say, I'm going to overcome all my temptation. I'm going to overcome it all. Not a chance. It's because you and I, we don't live by faith all the time. If you were constantly living by faith, no problem. Every, every opportunity, every proven ground moment, you're throwing a touchdown, you're hitting it out of the park, you're scoring a goal. The reality is we don't. And so when we see this on one sense, when we see Christ hitting it out of the park, trusting the Lord, we find our refuge in him. I'm so thankful that he trusted. Because I've put my trust in him. And since I've put my trust in him, I'm accepted by God on the basis of what he did. Isn't that tremendous truth? It, that's the gospel. So that it's not an excuse to lay down. It's not an excuse. Some might hear that. Well, since he had out of the park, I trusted him. Woohoo! Party time. Uh, you would see the gospel wrong if you thought that. You see, the gospel is this, this beautiful diamond. It's precious. How do you deal with precious things? You care for them. You look after them. You pay attention to them. Same thing when it comes to the gospel, because of what Christ has done. The turnaround is it makes me tremendously grateful for what he's done. And that provides the fuel by which when I'm tempted to not trust, I, I come back and go, no, but the gospel, I trust you. I don't understand. This feels like it's the right decision to make. Wait a minute. It's not because I trust in him. So I enter into that fight. So it's not an excuse. It is an understanding that Jesus is the victor. Now we gather together, looking at this passage like this, celebrating Christ, and putting on our, our soldier uniform. Lacing up the cleats to get out on the field and, and trust him really on that proving ground. It's not an excuse to live any way you want. It's an understanding and passages like this help us. Last couple Sundays, we've been considering two categories. If you're over in Luke chapter 4 by now, we'll look at the first one. Look at verses 1 through 4. And we unpacked this a couple weeks ago, so you can listen to this, but just want to touch on it. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when... They were ended. He was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him as written, man shall not live by bread alone. See, the temptation for Christ in that passage was, will he trust his heavenly father? Uh, and as we said, there's no place in the Bible that says, if you're the incarnate son of God, you can't make 
bread from stones. It doesn't say that. But the idea that we walk through was he has got to rely on the Father. If he's going to qualify to be your Savior and my Savior, he's got to take his divine attributes, the independent use. He's got to take those things and he's got to put them in his back pocket. Can't pull them out, can't operate by reading people's minds and throwing lightning bolts around because you can't do that. I can't do that. He has got to put those things in his back pocket and he's got to live by faith. He's in the wilderness led by the spirit. For the him to start producing food is to give in to comfort. That's what we said the temptation's about, comfort in life. We take that principle and what we do is we, we bolt that onto our own lives and we say, whoa, whoa, whoa. now my temptation is different than Christ. He's in the wilderness, led by the spirit. You might be in a cubicle. You might be in a neighborhood. You might be in a school. Freshman, going into college. You're going to be in some hallways. You're going to be in some dormitories. And how does that come to us? This idea of comfort. Well, it could certainly materially, you could say, well, if I only had that, my life would be better. If, if I only had this person, my life would be better. You could do that. But it also shows up in other ways. When I can't really speak up because I'm not sure if I really know that issue. Or you want to share the gospel and you're sitting at a table and you just, you feel like you need to share. You should be sharing. You feel that. And then these little voices in your head. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? What if they bring up something I'm, I'm not prepared to look at? But also, maybe they, they, they know me. And I've made a mess of things in my life. I'm a hypocrite. I can't talk. See how that comfort things works. So we bend toward the comfort. We bend toward these zones of safety in which we make everything nice. And when God puts his hand on your shoulder, Need you to move out of the comfort zone. You could be tempted to not trust him. You see, here, this is the thing. If he said, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, there's nothing out there that is bigger than him. It's in that moment. You find out if you believe that. Or you give somebody else the power in your life. Taking it away from God. You see, this isn't just a comfort zone issue. This is a worship issue. This is a trust issue. It's amazing about that in Matthew 28, after he says all power in heaven and earth, tells him make disciples, says I'm with you forever. Now there's sometimes we don't think he's with us. That's where we fail. And so we said that was one of the temptation. It's the idea of God's will in my life. God has called us all to suffer, to not have comfortable lives. So if you're Eye of Sauron is looking for the thing that will make you comfortable. If it doesn't land on Christ and your joys in him, ooh, you're going to struggle. But we've talked about it here. So that now you can encourage one another and we can get strength to move forward. The second area we saw in verses 5 through 8. Look over there. Now the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, 
It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We said last week, if we were going to put a moniker on this, we're going to title this, we would put this in the category of control. Verses relates to God's will. Now it's God's work. This idea of control. And, and many of us struggle with this. So while Jesus is tempted to take a shortcut in restoring all the kingdoms of this world under the reign of God, the enemy comes in and says, listen, I got an idea. It's mine. And if you submit to me, I'll give it to you. Now, the amount of problems with that is myriad. Uh, not only the fact that that God is the sovereign, but we saw that there's a tension there. There's something about the globe that we're on, the world that we're in, that the enemy has claimed. Because Christ never comes back and says, hold on a second. Hold on a second. It's not He never argues the point. What Jesus does is he comes back with the truth of Scripture. This is the second time he quotes from Deuteronomy. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting because the people of Israel really struggle to trust the Lord. And he comes back with... This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to engage with all the issues of the property of the earth and who owns the cosmos. I'm just coming back that I worship the Lord. In his humanity, he's speaking for you. In his humanity, he is advocating for you, yet not as your savior, but in qualifying to be the savior. We walked through that and we thought of Passages like Philippians 2, where he takes on the form of a servant. Even though he's in the form of God, the essence, the morphe of God, he becomes a servant. Because he's serving his father, and you and I get the benefit of that service. He doesn't fix his eye on you as the centerpiece of his love. It's so important to get that. The centerpiece of his love is the father. But because of that, we benefit. He does love, but he's not motivated by us. He's motivated for people to see the glory of the Father, the fame of God to spread. And that's why we say that here. We say the fame of God is spread when people are made disciples of Christ and walk in his character and his priorities. If you're wondering, how is it that God is made visible on this earth? Uh, And you have the idea of rent a billboard. Great, rent a billboard. Say thing like, things like, obey Jesus. It's up the road. Obey Jesus. Great billboard. You're a better billboard. You see, if you wear a shirt that has a Christian theme, great, wear the shirt. But please live the life. Please live the life. You're not getting points in heaven. No one's going, I'm going to come to Christ because that was a killer shirt you had on. No one's doing that. I wore a lot of Christian shirts. No one's ever done that. This idea of control is important. If you struggle with anger or depression, uh, move, move the issues that you think you struggle with. Start evaluating, is that you're on a quest for control? You want to control things. I'm, I'm here to tell you, and you know this already. I'm not telling any secrets. You're not in control, not even close. We love to live under the veneer that we control things. Um, 
you're not. As a matter of fact, I would say if you realize how out of control you are, uh, you'd probably go nuts. I don't even know how I'm doing stuff like that. I don't have any idea. It just happens. God's in control. It's God's work. I simply just have to trust. Now, we find ourselves this morning, third category. It's a profound category. It's a category that you live with all the time. Matter of fact, it shapes some decisions in your life. You look back on your life. Uh, I would say it's shaped a lot of decisions. Uh, everywhere from maybe a haircut, hairdo, maybe a car that you purchase, clothes that you wear. I would say even um, maybe a tattoo that you have. Uh, this subject has touched us all. You look back in your teen years, the, the curfew that you were given, the uh, events you attended, the people you hung out with, those you didn't hang out with, who you talked with in the halls, who you didn't talk with, who you follow on social media, who you don't follow. This subject, although it's in the life of Christ, it is absolutely riddled your life. It has worked through your life and has tentacles in your life. And I would dare say, some of you are enslaved to this subject that we're going to consider today. So let's look at the verses 9 through 13. This is the final. This is the grand finale. This is the great thing. I would say that the reason why this is third, because it's perhaps the most powerful temptation. It's the big gun in the enemy's arsenal. Then he took him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now you might sit there and think to yourself, well, Dan, I've never been to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not scared of heights. This idea of throwing myself down from a hill, I mean, where in the world is that coming from? I'm, every day I face that? I don't face that. I would say if we were going to put a category for this temptation, I would put it firmly in the idea of approval of others. I'd put that there. Temptation. He's being tempted to seek the approval of others. When we think about it that way, I think that we start going, whoa. Start thinking about it very different. I can even remember a friend of mine who... Uh, his father got him a sports car in high school. This guy went from having no friends to being invited to every party on Friday night. Because a sports car. I was standing there when he was standing by his sports car and everybody was rallied around us saying, where I grew up, no one had sports cars. Where did this guy get this sports car? People are sitting in it. Girls are talking to him. This guy is like a rooster. Another friend of mine had a beat up big Lincoln. He's pulling out of the high school. There's a patch of gravel. My friend who had the Lincoln uh, wasn't the brightest. wasn't the brightest light bulb. I wanted to show off too. And there was a crowd around the sports car, so he punched it. Next thing you know, there was gravel everywhere all over that sports car. He had all these friends, and his father said... I'm not giving you that sports car again. All of a sudden, it's gone. 
He went back to zero friends. You see, he had the friends. He had the approval of people on something like a sports car. I mean, that's amazing. Temptations opened up. When we look at this idea of this approval of others, however it's touched your life, I bet you can put your finger on a moment in which you said, looking back, I never would have done that if this person wasn't in the room. I never would have done that if I wasn't in trying to impress that person. You know, I have scars on my body about that. I've, I've, whether it's motorcycle jumping, I remember we were sitting around all of us on our dirt bikes. And somebody said, who can jump the furthest? Everybody's hands went up. By the end of the day, we were at the hospital. I think we are at the hospital because... Everybody had to outdo the guy before. And the problem is the first guy who went had a really good dirt bike. And so everybody else was pushing the limits. Look back in your own life. I bet you've done stuff not because you wanted to, but because someone was with you. You want to impress somebody. You wanted to look good. You wore that clothes. You purchased that outfit. Not because of only how it would make you look, but how it would make you look to others. I mean, if we start really digging into this, there are some people who never live their own life. They're in absolute bondage to what other people think about them. Uh, kids going off to college, that's huge. Want to make a good first impression. You, try to, you crack the joke that always gets the last. You stay away from the joke that's on the edge. You don't want to look like you're a goofball, so you stay quiet. In other words, you can orient yourself to everybody in the room to the point that you don't even exist. Be careful of that. Be careful of that as school's starting up. I've found that people, for the first bit of school, they're not themselves at all because they're trying to please everybody else. And don't think for a minute it's contained to students and schools. It's in the offices. It's lurking down the back hallways. One of the most tragic examples of somebody who lived for the approval of others. Before we get into what Christ does, I want to give you a couple different examples. First of a, a guy in the Old Testament and then the disciples themselves quickly. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, Samuel's installed Saul as the king. Saul is there. He's given specific orders. It says, go and strike Amalek and devote the destruction, all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and women, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, those words kind of hit us like, like firework concussions going off. The idea, that's horrible. Now, remember, the people were, the Amalek and his people were a brutal people. They were vicious people. And God was using... Israel is a scalpel to cut this cancer out from the, from the land. So Saul goes out with his men, defeats them. But this is the problem in verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, of the fatted calves, and the lambs, and all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. In other words, he's out there and he's starting to tabulate around what should I do what shouldn't I do would be a shame to get rid of these oxen they're quality oxen shame to get rid of the king he could leverage us with other other nations I don't know all the arguments but I'm sure there was a bunch and there are people around Saul matter of fact we know there are people around Saul because 
By the time he confessed his sin, this is what he said. I have sinned for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. says that in verse 24. He took off his role as king as simply all he's meant to do, all he's called to do, just trust God, do what I say. Just trust me, do what I say. Then he started hearing the whispers. Then he started hearing the rationale. And pretty soon, he wants other people to think well of him. He wants to be approved. But notice what happens, the scale. I trust the Lord. I trust him because of who he is. Now all of a sudden, I trust myself because who the people are around me. See how that works? See how that works? He has the clear instructions from the Lord. This is what you're supposed to do. Just focus on this. That's all you have to do. You got one job. And he starts letting other people influence him. Approval. You know the story of the end of Saul's life. He ends up on a hill. Taking his own life. Tragic. If we look back. At this time. We don't see it on the pages, but I think it's in the context. The enemy whispering. The enemy whispering. Don't do that. Don't do that. What are they going to think about you? He gives in. Another example we have is actually from the disciples. If you look over at Matthew chapter 12, we're about two years into the ministry of Christ. After this particular temptation that Christ goes through, we'll come back to it. He's getting ready to send them out. And Christ is concerned because he knows the approval of what other people think about his disciples. It could taint the way that they minister. So if you look at chapter 12, he walks down through, he calls them to himself in one through four, and then he instructs them where to go, what to say, what to take with them. He gives them all the details in verses five through 15. And then in verses 16 through 25, he starts warning of persecution. People aren't going to like your message. They're not going to all welcome you. I just want you to know that. And then he says something in verse 26. Is what you need to know. What I need to know. See, Jesus found that this counsel he gives in verse 26 to his disciples and the rest of the passage is the key for them to not live for the approval of others. And if you're going to go through school this fall, and if you're going to go through college, and you're going to make it in your cubicle, and you're going to live a life that is God-centered and Christ-exalting, we've got to pay attention to this. He says this, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. In other words, he says, Have moral courage. Speak the truth. But don't fear them. Say what needs to be said. But remember, everything that is said will be known in the end. See how his power of God, the power of Christ overshadows this. What you know to be true needs to be said. That's what he says, and he keeps going on. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Physical courage, no reality. When you look at other people, when you think, I want to please them because I want to get on their good side, and that means displeasing God, let's think about this. We need to fear him because he is awesome. 
He could destroy both the soul and the body. All they could do is take your life. Now you might read that and say, wow, that sounds incredibly harsh. You know, I think that he says that because that's the only thing that's going to keep us from giving into approval. You've got to live at the stakes level. This is a big deal. You see, because I think if you live at the level of Saul, these minor compromises, oh, it's just oxen, just sheep. Oh, it's a big deal. Saul didn't live at the level. I might lose my kingship. I might lose my life. You see, if he would have thought that, I bet he would have silenced the voices in the room. If he would have thought this could destroy everything, this could bring disrepute on the name of God, I don't think he would have done it. You see, these issues are big, but we sometimes think they're just really small. So just make an adjustment. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Think of this as an eternal implication here. This isn't just a conversation at the back of the room. This isn't just a conversation in the lunchroom. This is the power to shape your life. So in the end of the day, put God where he's supposed to be. Recognize him. Because that's who he is. And then he goes down further. For those who would think that God is, is mean. Jesus immediately balances. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So in that one moment, fear him. He can destroy your soul and body in hell. And by the way, he loves you. See how that works? He's awesome, yet he's imminent. His name is to be holy. And yet he knows you. Just like he knows a sparrow. Just like he knows the hairs of your head. He knows things about you you don't even know about yourself. So he cares. So don't fall into sinking. He doesn't care. But fear him. And then he goes on. Everyone acknowledge me before men. I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men. I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. These are the stakes And the approval of others can keep you from doing that. If you seek the approval, if you give in to the fear of friends, know that one day God will deny you if that's the temperature of your life. Why? Because he's not your God then. Your friends are your God. The people that are influencing you are your God. You see, we all worship something. We all trust something. And he says, if you don't trust the right thing, In the end, you're not mine. This should sting. It should feel intense. Because it is. Now we're back to Luke chapter 4. What is going on here? Where do we get this idea of this comfort, this, uh, excuse me, this approval of others? Where is it coming from? Well, notice in the passage, he takes him to Jerusalem, puts him on the pinnacle of the temple. So notice, in the context, he's at the highest point, part of the southeastern point, which is the highest point that looks down in the Kidron Valley. Some of you will be there in November of this year. Exciting time. It's not just about the location, though. It's about who's at the location. You see, the people are there. The people are coming up into the temple. Right next to that area, people would have been coming up into the temple for prayer. So he takes him up there and the idea is throw yourself down and what would happen and he says in verses 10 and he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and in 11 and on their hands he will bear you up lest you strike your 
foot against the stone. So the idea here is, is that the idea is that um, take yourself up there, throw yourself off, claim the promise of scripture. And now the enemy is citing scripture. I find that fascinating. The first two times he wasn't. Now he's citing scripture and specifically Psalm 91. What's interesting about his quoting is he's cobbling together two different verses. He's cobbling it together in Psalm 91. It says this in verse 11. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And then he leaves out in all your ways. And he runs on to the next verse, verse 12. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So what's happening here? In all your ways means God's ways. In other words, this entire passage is not a messianic passage. It's a passage about the people of God, his saints, and how they're supposed to walk through life that God is to be trusted. But in this context, the way the enemy is applying it, he wants God to have to prove his love. In other words, jump off the tabernacle, jump off the temple mount. The angels come and gather you together, take you to the ground, and all of a sudden everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows, they've seen the angels, and you can show up and go, ha ha, I told you I was the Messiah. Can any of you do that? I didn't think so. And all of a sudden people would embrace him, they would accept him. You're the one. That's categorical proof right there. But this is the problem. Those four words in all your ways in verse 11. God has not told Jesus to do this. The enemy is. And the enemy is leveraging scripture to move Christ from trust, from faith to presumption. In other words... There's a truth to be believed. But if that truth gets warped, now you're believing something that is not meant for you to be believed and that will lead to an action that is not God's will. That's the sequence here. And the enemy puts it before him. Take the shortcut. Jesus knows he's going to go to the cross. Don't have to do it. It was going to be done. You can get everything you want to get done accomplished if you'll only do this. Make it obvious. What's amazing about this is that Jesus goes, no, my role is not to make it obvious. It's the Father's role to make it obvious. It's his role to draw people to himself through the actions that I have. And so when he quotes back Deuteronomy 10.20, You shall fear the Lord your God, serve him and hold him fast, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, verse 21, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. In other words, he says, the Father is my joy, my hope. He's the one that I'm following after. He's the one I'm seeking to please. I'm choosing his path, his approval. Not the approval of people. I don't need to put myself on display. I'm not living for other people. I'm living for the Lord. And as the Lord gives me the platform, I will stand strong. But I will not seek to construct a platform by myself. Why? Because that wouldn't be trust. That would be giving in. 
And I'm not going to let you use the scripture to create presumption on what God should do for me. But I'm going to trust him in what he's promised. And I'm going to walk in that. These are incredibly important categories for us. In your life, are the things you're giving into comfort-wise? Maybe control. Maybe for you it's been approval. And that idea of living for what other people think about you, it's been part of your life for a long time. How do you dislodge that? Well, you dislodge that by trusting. You dislodge that by seeing God, his value and excellence and worth. And when you see his value, excellence and worth, when you trust him, the proving ground comes. What are you going to do? Give into comfort? Give into control? Give into approval? If you see Christ clearly, then you're armed appropriately. Because you'll value him over those other things. And that's what the gospel does for us. As the band is coming up, The gospel is that centerpiece of the table of God's grace. His grace was seen in the Old Testament, coming out of Egypt through the prophets. But the center of the table of his grace is the gospel of what Christ has done for us. So as we see people being facing temptation, they trust the Lord. They don't give in. So the questions at the bottom of your teaching guide are are important for you to consider this morning. How does the approval of others shape the temptations you face right now? And the thing is about that is you have to go into Monday morning in the office and the things that you think you've been compromising on, you're not going to. Put scripture in your cubicle. Ask somebody pray for you. Tell them, hey, I struggle with this. This one person, I don't know what it is, but I really want them to like me. And that's a stumbling block. Ask somebody to pray for you. Hold you accountable. Stand up for what's right. Freshmen going into college, students going back to school. Determine now what you're going to do. Determine now where your hope and joy is. Do not let your hope and joy go into people and what they think of you. Because in the end, you'll be a slave to that. Because you're not trusting God. Question number two, what is the role of scripture in this area of your life? Jesus comes back to scripture. Find scriptures that help you. Find scriptures that build up Christ in your mind, his value and your worth. Put them on the window in your bathroom. Put them on the windshield, the dashboard of your car. Put them on your phone. Set your phone to go off and remind you of this. Like an alarm to bring you back. Maybe you have that class with that person. Right before that class, the alarm. Fix your mind. Build yourself up so you can trust easier. Third, in what ways will you work to develop a trust in God instead of living for the approval of others? One of the things that's really important about this passage, verse we didn't even talk about. The last verse in this story, verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. If, if I was putting something in this, I'd put a button there to have ominous music. He's not giving up. But here's the thing. Our joy is in Christ. We're secure. The, the enemy cannot take us out of the hands of the Father. But we've got to arm ourselves with that truth, his value and worth and excellence. So the proving ground comes. Who will you trust? Will you give in to comfort or control or approval? No, I trust you. I don't understand everything, but I trust you. You are more valuable than any of those options. 
and you bring truth in your life to remember that because the enemy comes back and he wants to get you off the track of making much of Jesus. But thank the Lord you're his. Thank the Lord that he's doing a work in you that will make much of him. But you will enjoy the ride as you engage the fight. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this truth, how incredibly needy it is for us. We are weak people. It's easy to trust ourselves, but as we look over our life, trusting ourselves doesn't work out. It really gets to be a mess. Help us trust you. Help us to see our comfort is you, not our circumstance. Help us see you're in control, not our powering up. Whatever we get from that, we repent. We want to be approved by you, workmen who don't need to be ashamed. We don't need the approval of others. And in the end, we hurt them by giving into that. Help us to stand strong, making much of you. And thank you for this body, that we can encourage each other all the more until we're with you, that we are aliens, we are strangers in this world. Help us to not live for the approval of people, for that is like a vapor. Help us to live for you, to say what needs to be said, to forgive, to care, to do everything necessary in your name, not for what other people think of us. We thank you for this truth. Work it into our life. We'll give you the honor and glory for it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.